We are really thrilled to welcome our colleague Sothi Tep today. Um, it's, it's always exciting to uh, you know, have somebody who is here kind of as a practitioner, doing a degree, um, but who's engaged uh, in their country um, as well. And, and so she has this amazing personal, personal political, you know, global narrative that she's going to share with us today um, about her sort of journey back and forth with Cambodia, um, especially sort of living in Chicago, teaching in the United States, and then going back to Cambodia um, as, a, as a, a member of the National Assembly beginning in 2013. Um, so we will we'll hear a lot about that, um, that sort of personal narrative and, and that political journey um, today, and we're going to record the, the sort of first part of it, and then it's usually our practice to turn off the recorder for the question and answer session so we can ask her any, any of the challenging questions at that point. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so without further ado, um, for a presentation entitled A Journey from Cambodia to America and Back, uh, please join me in welcoming Sothi Tep. Thanks, Dr. Matthew Walton, Director of Southeast Asian Studies at Oxford for having me. Uh, thank you everyone for joining. Um, I appreciate my husband for his support. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Uh, this Cambodia story is dedicated to my beloved parents who deceased in Chicago, uh, the people of Cambodia and the human spirit. Cambodia, it's the most dangerous country you'll ever visit because you'll fall in love with it and it'll break your heart. This is the quote from uh, Joseph Musumeli, former U.S. ambassador to Cambodia from 2005 to 2008. Um, today i like to uh, talk about my journey in three parts. One is the introduction, and then part one and part two. I don't have a part three or conclusion because my life journey is in, still in progress. So, um, introduction, a dream defer, 1973. And as we know, Cambodia is home of Angkor Wat, very famous, extremely beautiful, thousands and in the millions of people go to this place and reminded me of Oxford except there's not many scholars there yet. <laughs> um, so my introduction is called A Dream Defer, 1973. And I like to take you back to uh, a little bit back before the 70s in the 60s and um, my recollection of Cambodia is uh, you, it's only places, you know, um, and experiences. So the first one is uh, called Kampung Cham Province. Kampung Cham Province is known for industrious people, strong leadership, and rigorous economy. In the 1960s, the royal uh, government of Cambodia, hailed by Lee Kuan Yew as the uh, pearl of Southeast Asia, King Narodom Sihanouk needed someone to work as a healthcare provider in the province. So my father applied and he accepted the position working as a chief supervisor for the province in the medical. So as you can see, and on the map, we're at on the right side, which is the east side, lower Cambodia. And Cambodia is a rapid shape, as you can see. So you're looking at the lower right side there. So that was where um, my father worked. And um, he retained this position throughout the Lonnal years of 1970 through 1975. And they lived a happy, humble life until after 1973. And if I may um, share a little anecdote within the story, is that um, when I was born, uh, already in my mom's arm, she or they took me to a Buddhist uh, monastery to be named. You know, like in the West, we have to 
Christian, your sons or daughters. And um, the monk saw the little baby and he said, Oh, that you're such a beautiful baby. Name her Sothi. It means intelligence. And because um, I had kind of light hair and unusually light complexion for a Cambodian baby. So then um, also um, he said, the, monk, the Buddhist monk said, her, num her lucky number is three. Anything that has to do with three, 13, 3, 23, 20, 23, you will be, this is the next, you know, Cambodian teachers raved about this little baby. And then uh, little did I know the Vietnam War was coming to an end and uh, the communist ideology was spreading across Southeast Asia. And it was also the beginning of the Cambodian genocide engineered by the Khmer Rouge. As some of you know, the Khmer Rouge, they are red communists and uh, they are Cambodian red communists. And so uh, my, fa my parents uh, weighed out the situation in eastern Cambodia and uh, and uh, he uh, oh, didn't work. Eastern Cambodia and uh, they said uh, he talked to my mom my dad spoke to my mom and he said it's not safe you know and I wasn't supposed to be born anymore because they want to stop having kids in the 70s and it just happened you know they fell in love somehow and I came into the picture so um, from Kampong Cham province they are uh, uh, actually a Muslim Cham a Cambodian Muslim he tossed me into the boat while the fighting was going on the bombing of Cambodia was going on he tossed me into a boat and then uh, my mom and my other five siblings, she took off her white shirt and told the kids to wave, you know, so, um, so that the soldiers don't confuse us with the enemies, so to be safe. And so, um, so we escaped. I was saved for the first time as a baby um, in the eastern side of Cambodia. And um, so then we went to, we kept moving west. We went to the capital, which is where it says Phnom Penh there, as you can see out in the white there. And uh, we went along up north and then to the west, northwest Cambodia. Now we came to Battambang and province to live during the Khmer Rouge 1975-1979. It's a province of generosity, wonderful art and music, and amazing Cambodian food. Um, you guys can try a mok, which is the national dish or, you know, made from fish or chicken, but you can't smell fish. They somehow fixed it so it doesn't smell fish. And uh, papaya salad, amazing sticky rice and mango. Um, you can also try cabbage chicken salad. Just wonderful. Anyways, the Khmer Rouge during that time were extremely brutal. They evacuated the cities and murdered many Cambodian teachers, doctors, and attorneys, artists, and other professionals and placed uneducated persons in to positions of authority to run the country. And this was uh, taken from Elizabeth Becker's book, who uh, was a journalist um, who went into Cambodia close to uh, the Khmer Rouge time. And um, I'd like to now pause for a moment and see if we can listen to some of the classic Just One Cambodian music. And as we know, music soothes the whole uh, soul and you don't really need to know the language to understand so this woman is my favorite favorite uh, singer her name is Panron and um, the song is called I want to live in the sky Oops. How do I... Thank you. 
and just done. Oh, okay. So, uh, she is uh, pr probably one of the most um, influential Cambodian artists who is uh, who was ahead of her time in uh, hu uh, women's movement, and you know she also sang a lot of songs about how uh, she was forty, but her husband was only eighteen in a you know. Uh, uh, comical set way and um, uh, Miss Panron was asked by the Khmeru to sing and they executed her after the performance. Um, so the Khmeru was also separated children from their parents indoctrinating the children in communist ideology and violent methods of social control and uh, my father told Khmeru officials that I did not like school at all and prefer working in the rice fields to going to school. When asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say a scarecrow. Oh. <laughs> Saved my life again. Oh, this doesn't want to work. Can I, how do I move it, this one? Oh, okay. So according to my mother during that time, I worked in the rice fields, and sometimes the children's camp doing chores to the support the community and to survive. I was always in the front of the line of all the children when we marched to work because I was the smallest, youngest, and popular. Sometimes the group leader would carry me across the stream because the current was so strong my first memory of Badambong was in a mud pond, crater-like, and here was where an old man saved me from death for the second time. I think I was about four years old, and this was uh, my first memory. Um, and um, I remember in a crater-like, and uh, he, he uh, to hide me, he uh, painted me all over with mud. So when the Khmeru came to look for uh, you know, white baby or little kids, they couldn't see who it was, only my eyes showed. So that was uh, really smart of him to do that. And other times, my father would take me along with him at night to steal food. And whenever he took a nap or rest, he would put me to sleep on his chest while he slept in a mud puddle to prevent me from either bitten by snakes or eaten by other wild animals. The Khmeru era was a period of mistrust and fear in an atmosphere of hatred and paranoia. The regime also completely obliterated the Cambodian educational system. And uh, the Khmeru regime lasted slightly more than three and one half years before Vietnam invaded Cambodia and toppled it in 1979. And so in 1979, my dad was finish with Cambodia. He said he wanted to go to America. God knows where America, we had no clue how far it was or what it looked like, right? So 1979, 
of his friend said, oh, sir, don't go. Uh, the U.S. policy has no, uh, you know, a place for Cambodian refugees. If you go, you're going to uh, be taken and dumped down uh, Dongrek Mountain, which is a really uh, high mountain between uh, Cambodia and Thailand. So here was uh, uh, Prevy here in 1979. And uh, this is a current picture. But at the time when I was a little kid, I said, where are we going? I asked. To America, be quiet, said one of my sisters. And we were like in the middle of the jungle. I said, if this is going to America, I don't want to go. It takes too much of, you know, my energy as a little kid, you know, to go and, uh, and um, this area was uh, a lot of um, landmines and uh, the Vietnamese and the Khmer Rouge were shooting and were trapped in between. And then uh, we went into Thailand and as my dad's friend said, they took all the Cambodian refugees in 1979, dumped them down the uh, Previhir province, Dongret area. And um, then uh, there were a lot of landmines, my dad, my brother, they carried me and um, I made it through uh, death for the third time because without them, I don't think I would be in Oxford talking to you all here. So uh, my dad and uh, my family returned to the capital and that's when uh, we lost one of my brothers um, because uh, he was a teenager and he climbed a palm tree and he fell and killed, uh, died. And so with, from that incident, my parents didn't really get along because that was my dad's favorite son. And um, they would argue and my dad said, I do not want to live with the communists. I want to go to America. So in 1980, he left my dad to America by himself again. And um, I remember that day I came from the river swimming. I was wearing a, just a, a kind of little uh, scarf, you know, no shirt. And I saw him trailing off into the sunset. And a granny, my neighbor, said, Sophie, little sweetie, your dad's going to find a new wife there. Off he goes. And I started crying and crying and crying. And, uh, and uh, you know, because he was kind of like my role model. I looked like him. I have a little bit of his personality, but mostly uh, like my mom, very nice and sweet. So thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he went to, uh, we went to, um, he went to America, that's all we know. So he was stuck, he went past Cambodia, again, the same area that we went down the uh, Previhir range. So we went to a, and here's just an extra uh, temple of, as you can see when we uh, were dumped down, there's more trees, snakes, and landmines here. And uh, it's really steep and not any place for little kids. So when my dad crossed the border again for the second time to go to America, we ended up in a place called Kawidang Camp. And it's a Thailand camp. And as you can see, Cambodia is tucked between Thailand and uh, Vietnam on the Gulf of Thailand. So this is all uh, Gulf of Thailand to the south there. And uh, the camp is up to the northwest here. Uh, so uh, we ended up in Thailand camp, and uh, we escaped the killing fields to killing time in the camp for three and uh, more than three years. I think it's uh, about three years. And um, in Kawidang camp, it was where I was exposed to English learning. And I still remember as a kid, it's uh, 
Surprisingly, it's called Essential Book One, published by Oxford University. So I would, you know, hold that book, and I didn't know anything, you know. And um, so, and then when we got in the camp for about three to six months, my dad's friend, you know, he's got big friends in Japan. He said, well, we offer your family. You and your wife and your five kids go directly to Japan. It'll be a good life. He said, no, I want to go to America. And um, then his other friends from France said, well, we can take you to France then. He said, uh, I'm, you know, I really want to go to America. But America never came for him. So he just uh, waited and provided all the documents. And then um, at some point, there was a uh, church world service from New York. They said, okay, you have a big family. We're willing to sponsor you. Where do you want to go? He said, uh, anyway, I have no family. I want to get my family out. As long as my family is out of this uh, area, you know, to America, I'm happy. You put me anywhere. So we ended up in uh, Chicago, Illinois. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a really uh, long journey just to get from Cambodia to Thailand, and then we went to the Philippines a little bit to learn English for six months there, some more English. And, um, you know, some Cambodian refugees' agony continue, um, traumatized by their experiences such as maladies and PTSD, stroke, diabetes, and related depressive symptoms were common among Cambodian populations. Um, according to Becker, the, um, Elizabeth Becker, David Chandler, and Ben Kiernan, most Cambodians either had been, been beaten to near death or had witnessed family members or friends being killed, <coughs> sorry, starved or tortured by the Khmer Rouge. And um, one of my cousins, um, she, she had a baby during the Khmer Rouge, and um, I didn't know until I went back and she told me that she uh, smashed her baby uh, um, what's that? on the coconut trunk because it was crying for milk. And she's a little bit uh, unstable but functional. So, And um, I think there's a, um, the, the movie that um, it's coming out in a couple of days by uh, Angelina Jolie. It's called First They Kill My Father by Luang Ang. It's also a, a narrative about the experience that I just shared with you this last 10 years. So from 1973 to 1983, you know, the time we got out of Southeast Asia, it was, it was a horrible, horrible experience for me as a kid. And uh, that's why I call it a dream deferred, um, because not just me, uh, millions of people were deferred from, you know, achieving their dreams and living their life. And um, so now part one, I have the American dream, 1983. So this is a little happier because it's more stable and um, you know we're learning new things so uh, part one is called dreamer and um, in America the American dream for me it's not about places anymore it's about what you do as a professional so I have here number one dreamer number two teacher and number three leader so dreamer so we ended up in uh, springfield illinois in 1983 and you know it's a relatively small town it's the capital of springfield uh, excuse me in illinois and uh, my family and i arrived to america in 83 and we live there for about three years and uh, as a kid uh, you know growing up i always wanted uh, first of all because the, the education system was so bad in America and my own experience with schooling, it wasn't that good. So 
you know, in the third or fourth grade, I would want, I said, I want to go to college. Didn't know what college meant or what it, no clue what it was like, uh, how hard it, <laughs> uh, it uh, you know, can be. But, um, and then the second thing was I want to be married to a really nice, handsome guy and with a job. And um, so, but, huh? <laughs> Most importantly, um, my dream at 15 was to become someone like Golda Meir. You know, she was the Iron Lady of Israeli politics. And nobody would believe me. They frown or laugh. But I said, one day I'm going to get there. But uh, my mother wanted me to be a teacher. And uh, my father thought I would make a great world leader. And he said, a teacher? Teachers eat chalk all day long. Why you want to be a teacher? Um, chalk. Chalk. You know, you chalk. Sorry. And uh, that, that was his view of Cambodian teacher, and they get, you know, cursed at and misbehave, and he said, that's not good, and you don't want to be a medical doctor because I've seen enough blood in Cambodia. So he said, be a world leader, uh, marry the senator and politician, you know, and uh, pretty much pressure for a little kid. But um, then my father thought Springfield was too small for his taste for to raise his kids, you know, so... And then, so in 1986, we moved to Chicago. So he's got a, like a big dream, you know, in this story. It's like I'm a little bit influenced by him, as you can see. And so in uh, Chicago, I became a teacher. And as you can see, uh, it, uh, in the, growing up in a Chicago neighborhood, I witnessed the depression that existed within the Cambodian-American community but I didn't understand its causes until my first, very first visit back to Cambodia in 1999. And um, in 1999 was when the first time I went back after living in overseas for over some 20 years. Um, so I went back and uh, it was my father again. He, uh, you know, his health was uh, uh, not good and he thought he was gonna die after uh, you know, coming out from a coma. He said he wanted to die in Cambodia. So he said, uh, you take me there. I was only 24, 25, I remember, and I was his uh, power of attorney. And uh, so him, uh, my dad and I went to Cambodia, and uh, uh, we went and we looked for, like, a, you know, um, what you might call it, a casket to put his body, you know, to buy uh, a lot of casket to uh, prepare for his death so we can send it to his hometown. Well, it ended up that he didn't die and he came back with me back to America. <laughs> and I tell this story again and again because it's just everything it turns upside down and I was trying to pass my uh, teacher exam, my master's degree teacher exam, and I got my father, you know, on the side who was terminally ill. And uh, so it's after that trip that I began to think that perhaps this depression within the Cambodian community was linked to Cambodia's tragic history and that this history fed into broken homes, broken dreams, family dysfunction, and other negative consequences. Conversely, during my own youth, I had been encouraged by a, lo a loving family and supportive Chicago and Cambodian American community. So um, I became an educator, serving hundreds of children in Chicago for over a decade, uh, and uh, led a wonderful, wonderful life in uh, in America for 30 years. So um, everything in Chicago was excellent a bit burned out from teaching, but life was fine nonetheless. And uh, I also needed a break from teaching. And I th also thought of pursuing a different career, a job where I would just talk about Cambodia because I had, and so you guys are my first uh, audience. So I've never talked about until today. So um, I'm very privileged. And then um, I met John at a Wisconsin library in the summer of 2008. 
and uh, he was doing his, uh, you know, lineage in uh, German and Norwegian uh, uh, ancestry, and he was looking at his ancestry book, and I said, oh, I li you like that book? He said, yeah, I like this book. I said, oh, I like that book too. So we ended up uh, exchanging emails, and then the, we didn't uh, date or didn't know he couldn't contact me through the email because he was in Wisconsin. It's like he was in Thailand, and I was in Cambodia. You know, I was in Illinois, so it's like, uh, okay, well, you know, here's, you know, I have to go because uh, I would have to go back work to work in Chicago. So, and um, uh, from that time on, uh, there was kind of like I focused on my teaching, and then it was like a silence between John, you know, until uh, 2009. And by that time, I was really, really considered seriously resigning and uh, 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 take a deep plunge and do something really uh, crazy. People. You know, my family said, you're crazy. You have this beautiful life, a really awesome condo, and, you know, and you're young, and and um, everything uh, a girl would want. But, uh, you know, I was ready, and then I was on Internet uh, navigating, looking at a uh, situation in Cambodia, who would be a good party. And then I found uh, uh, the president, uh, of the Human Rights Party comes a car. So that time in 2009, I found him. I decided to help him. And then at the same time, John found my email, and then he emailed me, asked for a date. And then I said, well, are you good looking? Because when I saw you, you were a little heavy. Let me see your picture. <laughs> so... Um, so it was uh, pretty embarrassing, but uh, I was pretty uh, vain, and you know, you kind of like have this uh, craziness. So after that, and that's another journey there with him. I'll just stop there. So, um, so this political thing and John, it came at the same time, and I couldn't, I couldn't let go one, and because. When you know John came to Chicago to see me, we went to a Chinese restaurant, to the art museum, and to the you know aquarium. And we um, after the first date, I I said uh, I think that's the guy for me. <laughs> I told my mom, and then um, you know we started dating, and then uh, number three after you know asked became a teacher here and here are my teacher friends here and uh, you have Chrissy here and Kristen there and the pastor and you know we dated and we I before we got married I asked my mom I said mom do you think he's gay <laughs> and um, because he was acting I couldn't tell and um, he said Oh, she said, and when I we know when she said sweetly and softly, like what about I'm gonna say? We know it's a no. Don't ask her again. So I asked her, and she said, "No way, honey." So don't ask her again. That's her, you know, limit. So then we got married, and knowing John, he's a pharmacist very, very uh, precise in his speech and his work, you know, this guy. And uh, how are we going to get married? Because it's, you know, our first time getting married for both of us. And um, so we got, we ended up getting married um, uh, three times. One at home, Cambodian tradition, the picture you saw here. And then, uh, you know, uh, in kind of like half American tradition. And my mom, the Cambodian side, wanted the, all the Cambodian thing. And I was dressed up in six different beautiful dresses. And uh, I, during the, here's the reception. And uh, I said, I'm done, uh, I'm bored of uh, Cambodian dresses. I'm gonna wear American gown, white gown. So it ended up there and the pastor started laughing and 
I said, uh, it's a little bit not uh, your traditional wedding, but it's worked out well. And um, then the, the next Sunday, we took a break from our marriage because so we were married Friday, Saturday. I was exhausted, you know, moving, you know, and didn't have time. And I think the only time I had uh, for uh, him was like five minutes or less than five minutes dancing with, with him um, on the dance floor. The rest were, you know, cater to uh, guests to make sure I had a lot of guests I didn't know coming from the East Coast, the West Coast, Cambodian uh, guests who are in the political thing. I didn't have no clue, and they liked us, and they came to our wedding. And uh, so John said... Well, it's not legal, his thing with the, you know, pharmacists and the law. And he said, uh, we got to go to Mary in front of the, the uh, justice of the peace, in front of the judge. So on Monday, we got married for the third time um, in front of the judge. <laughs> Exhausting uh, wedding. Um, so um, as you can see, uh, the leader, here's my picture, and thanks to Princess Bomden for this beautiful, beautiful picture here, uh, Christmas Eve here, but I just wanted to mention that um, third, I, you know, my dad wanted me to be a leader, and I kind of wanted to be a leader too, but I didn't know how, and um, so, and I put here cancer survivor. I'm also a survivor, cancer survivor, and um, I'm pleased to report and to all of you that I'm fully recovered and I'm in remission according to the UK oncologist. So it's really, really a great news. Um, and uh, so by 2010, um, after having saved some money as a teacher in Chicago, I started to work as a volunteer in Cambodia during the summers. And uh, I was not married at that time, uh, but being single and a woman, it could be uh, difficult to succeed in a country like Cambodia. But, you know, fate intervened when I met John and when we got married. And then um, in the newly married, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2011 and survived the chemotherapy in 2012. And then my uh, beloved mother died in 2012, right after I recovered from my cancer, followed by the death of my oldest sister, who, uh, Camera, who uh, taught me uh, Cambodian in the camp. And uh, she was the one who taught me how to read and write in my uh, uh, early years in, uh, in Southeast Asia. And so, um, you know, three immediate family members died and my own medical condition within five years, from 2008 to 2012, I said, oh, that's too much, you know, I couldn't handle anymore, so, and uh, I needed to escape. So uh, one day I asked John, I said, uh, would you still be interested in marrying to, uh, to me, marrying me, you know, after we already married, and uh, would you move to Cambodia with me? And John had never dated an Asian woman or, uh, n he never knew about Asia before, and, um, and he said yes, and uh, we both needed a break, and uh, so we both resigned in 2012, and uh, we sold our homes, we uh, gave away all our belongings, you know, because he had a little house on the lake in Madison, Wisconsin, and he sold that, I sold my condo, and uh, closed my first chapter of uh, Life in America. So uh, that's the end of my part one of the American dream. But uh, it's still in me. I brought, you know, a really uh, a kind, loving, caring person to Cambodia, and uh, or he decided to come with me. And uh, here I will uh, share with you uh, part two, my dream, uh, 2013. And... Uh, my dream is a work in progress, you know, and uh, my husband and I permanently relocated to Cambodia in June 2013 for the July national campaign. And at first I was very afraid of the move. I thought, I'm trailing off into the dismal ab abyss. And uh, 
What do I do as MP? I serve and represent every Cambodian citizen living in Cambodia and abroad, and I focus on serving youth, which uh, we have about 70% after the, uh, the genocide, 70% uh, of the Cambodian population, they're under 30 years old. So that's a lot. And uh, women, 52% um, of the total 15 Cambodian population. And um, my MP roles and responsibilities, I would say, um, uh, I would say, uh, I, we, uh, legislative about 30%, representative 60%, and oversight about 10%. I'm also uh, a member of Commission 3, which is a privilege because they don't let a first-time, you know, uh, junior MP to be in a commission, but somehow I got lucky, and, uh, and uh, this Commission 3 is in charge of the Cambodian National Agriculture, Rural Development, Environment, Water Resources, Planning and Investment, but my focus I'm assigned to is Planning and Investment. And um, so um, as I was, uh, you know, serving Cambodia and working, I looked uh, on my, you know, Facebook and I uh, uh, saw Shivening Scholarship. And I was actually, you know, doing that to pass information on my Facebook to the youth there. And then it ended up, uh, I said, oh, if you apply to this scholarship, that scholarship, with, all this stuff, I, uh, and then I saw Oxford. Oxford trigger my uh, childhood memory. I said, oh boy, what's that place like? I like to go, but I don't know how. So I applied to Oxford and um, got accepted to this uh, foreign service program, and uh, here I am, ended up here in uh, 2016. And uh, the rest, um, I like to share with you of my uh, photos of uh, MP activities, and and what, what what do I do with this? And then in fact, and oh, do you want the video first? Yeah, I think I want that video first. Oh, not yet. I MP activity. Sorry, no. Yeah. Yeah, so here uh, I have a, a little bit of a photo picture, and this picture is in the National Assembly of uh, Southeast Asian Youth, who uh, uh, they're sponsored by the Conrad Andenauer uh, Stifton, or CAS, and uh, he's based in Singapore. They work with the, uh, the Cambodian government on uh, good governance. And I was asked, I was privileged, asked by the uh, President of the National Assembly, uh, Excellency Hain Samran, to head the delegation, Southeast Asia delegation here. It's stuck again. Oh. And uh, here's some uh, from uh, Indonesia youth. And here uh, I, uh, as a you know, member of Commission 3, I visited a factory, garment factory in uh, the border of Cambodia by Thailand and Cambodia on the western side. And uh, as you're aware or not, 74% um, of uh, Cambodian economy is based on garment factory. And here is my uh, uh, duty representative to the French embassy in the capital during the attack on, uh, in Paris, so we showed up for that. And uh, you have here uh, a mountain, uh, you know, ethnic from uh, the north of Mandolkiri, Ratanakiri, Cambodian has, you know, like we would have uh, like American Indians, and so they're Highlanders, Cambodian Highlanders, come and see. And uh, this picture is very memorable for me because uh, I went and uh, supported the um, uh, flood victims in uh, Kampot province on the Gulf of Thailand. And I saw a lot of 
uh, women coming to get, you know, rice and stuff. I said, what happened with the men? And she said, oh, they're all killed during the Khmer Rouge time. It was so, and this woman just hugged me and she had no clue that uh, I was one of the survivors, yeah? So that was a happy reunion. And here we have uh, my husband and I, we uh, went to a funeral of Dr. Kemblay. He was a, you know, intellectual who was uh, mysteriously killed in a very affluent neighborhood in the capital. And this is his wife with the baby there. And we, uh, it's my duty to kind of comfort, you know, um, the women. And then we also, uh, John, he's a private person, but in uh, like schooling and situations like this, for example, a school in Kaip and that teacher is uh, Tracy Stetler, and she's like a very dedicated uh, school teacher now. She has her own school. It's called the Monkey School in Cambodia, and uh, we went to support her. And uh, I also went to uh, a, um, o do an oversight in the northern Cambodia with uh, uh, you know uh, issue of illegal logging. A lot of illegal logging, and these are the um, what you call uh, forest national forest preserve people, with the help of USAID um, their uniform there. And these are the Khmer uh, Crown, who is uh, trying to have their self determination, practice principle of self determination. And I'm they I was invited to Philadelphia, where they uh, reside, and. Uh, very, very young population, as you can see. And uh, during our break, uh, you know, we kind of enjoy coffee a little bit from, <laughs> and this is a, a VIP section. So only member of parliaments and, you know, important people can get through. So, and John and I decided to kind of like, okay, while you're still in the, you know, position, let's get a coffee at the VIP. So, and, um, I also invited the young business, local business. These two are very successful. She owns a pepper farm. He owns a very, you know, Cambodian Western restaurant. It's really delicious um, at his place. And they came to the National Assembly, talked to one with the baby. It's really, uh, and then we have here a volunteer from, uh, I, I believe she's either from Texas or Georgia, Bailey Burrell. She is a, you know, uh, doctor-to-be, uh, starting to be 19 years old, and she volunteered in Cambodia, capital, in Kalmite Hospital. So I'm really pleased to show this because, you know, young people are doing great things for Cambodia, and uh, I really appreciate it. And here's a picture from the children, uh, Cambodian Children's Fund, CCF, uh, headed by Scott Neeson. This guy is a little crazy too because he was a big uh, Sony, you know, executive doing, you know, making millions per year, decided to give that all up like like John and I and um, went to Cambodia, started his uh, rescue mission of uh, children in the dump site to give them education. And some of these kids, um, receive college education. And this one is our uh, Mother Nature, headed by uh, uh, Alex Rodriguez. He's from Spain, and he I think he made something about uh, the forests in, uh, along the Gulf of Thailand, the protection of forests, and uh, these are his uh, team uh, working with the National Assembly and uh, this woman here is part of the National Election Commission team and she's the only woman of the nine NEC members and uh, part of my duty also visit the um, you know of the uh, prison here local prison and uh, we also, uh, like if something 
doesn't go right. The people, you know, had their thumbprints and submitted to the representative. So I was here in Phnom Penh to receive thousands of thumbprints for um, whatever they dissatisfy with whatever because a lot of people are still undereducated, especially, you know, in the countryside. And uh, here we have a, a, a group of activists from Prey Long. It's a huge, huge forest and kind of like rainforest. And here is where I went to uh, inspect again, um, work with local authority, governors, uh, soldiers in Prey here. It's where I was, uh, you know, traveling when during my uh, childhood year. They didn't know that though. I didn't. They and uh, kids are uh, really enjoy. And um, this picture, I couldn't show the picture due to their policy. But the uncle hospital for children. I was invited by a British woman who headed the hospital. Absolutely amazing. Free health care for every kid. And if you're poor, you can provide your proof that you're really poor. Uh, they give you money for traveling costs and to stay. It's amazing. Uncle Hospital for Children. And uh, here I had a chance to talk to t some teenagers of a school in uh, Uncle Wat in Siem Reap. And uh, here I asked them, uh, you know, would you like to have a job where your driver is really handsome, and they didn't have an answer. <laughs> they just smiled, and I was referring to my husband, who is also my driver currently. Um, and we also do some uh, clean water projects. And uh, here I had some funds from America, and we dug a well, and they made a you know, sign after my name and the donors there. Really happy. Yeah, and and here we have um, also the uh, group from uh, local leaders, and I was here to cut a ribbon for the bridge. You know, here's my uh, representative bridge. It's about a five foot long bridge, <laughs> so and they're really uh, important. You know, with the receiving the representative very very and here I uh, recently gave my first interview to uh, the um, Swedish magazine and uh, a friend thought I was very uh, inspirational and so um, she put me in the Swedish magazine talking about women's rights and other issues in Cambodia and I just wanted to touch a little bit on women's rights in Cambodia. Uh, before that I'd like to take a quote from uh, Tip O'Neill, all politics is local. Tip O'Neill, U.S. Speaker of the House and uh, these are all, not, I'm, most of my work is local but this is uh, a few times I went overseas to Bali, Indonesia to talk about women's rights. And uh, women's rights in Cambodia, it's like climbing Mount Everest, you know. Men are not taking them seriously, and uh, they aren't seen as decision makers and are not influential in politics except for a few due to traditional thinking and lack of education. And a Cambodian system is very poor and underdeveloped, but gradually recovering. And, um, you know, uh, right now Cambodian the Cambodian government is uh, heading, the, the, uh, you know, they're heading in the right direction by uh, having students taking the exam, you know, because before the exam there were a lot of cheating, and after the exam, 80% um, pass or no, 75% uh, uh, fail and 25% pass high school. So it's a it's a good step, climbing slowly, and um, also. Uh, there was an incident where uh, medical students didn't pass the exam and they went to the prime minister to ask to, uh, you know, exempt them, let them pass. And that made a really, really big news because, you know, if you 
can't, can't do the exam, you know, how are we going to trust the Cambodian healthcare system, you know, so I'm glad the Prime Minister didn't okay that, and they just have to study and pass the exam, so I think that's uh, the right direction the Cambodian uh, government is taking, and um, also, uh, Cambodia needs to be developed in a responsible way. The situation in Cambodia is turbulent with the political tensions between the two dominant parties, and uh, um, it's difficult to work uh, productively and to move Cambodia forward quickly when people are under threat, witness violence, and the perpetrators are being rewarded for criminal act. And, um, you know, because the average people are really scared and it's hard to collaborate. So on September 20th, 2016, I visited 18 prisoners of conscience detained in the prison. Here is where I am. Um, uh, 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 prisoners, among the prisoners are the two members of the Cambodian, you know, party of the minority voice, uh, Excellency Om Sam An and Senator Hong Sukur. And afterward, a press conference was held and Radio Free Asia was there to interview my colleagues and I on human rights issues. And uh, we requested top officials to release them and uh, we encourage the use of dialogue. So, and um, also on October 23rd, 2016, was the 25th anniversary of the Paris uh, Peace Agreement on Cambodia, uh, a peace treaty signed in 1991, and the opposition party in Cambodia requested to hold a meeting in Phnom Penh's Freedom Park on uh, Sunday, 23rd October, to celebrate the peace agreement, but um, the uh, municipal government rejected the request because uh, contending that it could not manage the expected crowd. And I quote this uh, by um, the Swedish uh, newspaper, Granslov Maria Benneke Ilion Komi. And also, here's, uh, we have some in the assembly, I received some uh, U.S. college students to the assembly. For the first time, they came to visit us. And uh, the Kingdom of Cambodia is uh, here some more of the Wisconsin nursing students. They came to Cambodia to uh, want to learn about Cambodian National Assembly. Um, and here they're standing outside the gate and this uh, emblem and my emblem indicates you are a member of parliament and here they are in front of the uh, grand entrance and they visited my office. I'm really pleased with that. And there was another woman who I met in New York, a Cambodian woman who went to uh, United States as an orphan at 12 years old all by herself. Now she had a baby and then she heard that I became a member of parliament and the Khmeru and all this. She came to visit me in Oxford. I was like, and with the baby, carrying a baby all the way from New York to visit me. And uh, here she is, very, uh, very uh, inspiring to me to see that. And here's some of our um, uh, brave Cambodian leaders. One of them is very well known. Her name is Musa Kaur, also a member of parliament in the brown, bright brown salad there. And um, here are some uh, attorneys from uh, Manhattan. They visited my office. They wanted to see what it was like. And it's funny because my office is a tiny, small office, but it's really uh, pretty. So here, Sasha, are you going to use some time for questions? Yes. And here... So we only have about five minutes left. Oh, of the questions? Period. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I thought I was... And this is my uh, hometown uh, home, the way I was born as a baby. And uh, John and I, and I leave you that with my dog, Maxie. That's uh, finished. And then um, I just wanted to add that There'll be an uh, election in Cambodia, the commune election uh, in June, this June, and also there'll be a, a national election in 2018. 
And um, I wanted to uh, uh, say that the Kingdom of Cambodia uh, can be the pearl of Southeast Asia again, but every Cambodian must work very hard to make it great again. And one way is to vote. And um, I also wanted to say that education is the key. And for me, investing in Oxford is good for me and will benefit the future of Cambodia greatly. And my final message to youth, young people out there, is be curious, ask questions, most importantly, think for yourself and don't be afraid to pursue your dream while living a meaningful, beautiful life because no one is going to show you how. And uh, now you have it. It's uh, 10 tumultuous years in uh, Southeast Asia, 30 amazing years in America, and I'm back in Cambodia, and here I am with you all in Oxford. Thank you very much.